Welcome to the Aligned Musician Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kimberly Hankins, and I'm a violist as well as a yoga and breathwork facilitator. I created this podcast to empower musicians like you to find your own path towards healing and normalize conversations around musicians' wellness. I'm so grateful for your support and thank you for joining me. Francesca Leo is a cutting edge flutist, educator, and performing arts health advocate. She is the founder of playingwithoutpain.com, which is an award-winning interactive website and social media platform committed to connecting musicians with resources to treat and prevent performance-related injuries. Francesca is currently on the board of the National Flute Association Performance Health Care Committee and the Performing Arts Medicine Association Young Professionals Committee and serves as the chair of the Puerto Rico Flute Symposium Wellness Committee. She's a certified 50-hour meditation instructor and is currently working and pursuing a certification as a licensed body mapping educator. Francesca holds a master's degree in flute performance from the Manhattan School of Music and a bachelor's degree from Bowling Green State University. Thank you so much for being here, Francesca. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be on this podcast with you. I'm so excited to have you here. Um, I think the first time that I met you or, or learned about your work you're doing here on Instagram um, was four years ago. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it feels so right. long ago, but I had a different Instagram account and I was posting these little like stretches and exercises and stuff. And I remember that. <laughs> it yeah. feels so long ago. I know. Um, and you were the first person to ever like comment on my page <laughs> and like share my stuff. And so I always have a special place in my Aww. heart for, for you and for the work that you're doing. And, and I just appreciate all of the resources that you provide. It's so inspiring. Thank you so much. And I love your work too. I'm such a big fan and I'm so glad that we connected too. And, and we've had the opportunity to work together in other capacities throughout the past year as well. Oh, me too. Ugh. Yeah. And um, so is there anything that you'd like to share about your musician's wellness journey? How did you start doing research in this area and why is it something that you're passionate about? Yeah, sure. Thank you for asking that question. Um, I feel like all of us in the musician's wellness industry have our own personal story and it's really awesome to be able to share it with everybody. So for me personally, I've been dealing with a performance related injury on and off for the past 10 years. And I first started experiencing pain when I was playing my flute at age 16, which at that point, I had never heard of anyone that was ever experiencing pain from playing an instrument. So I felt really alone during that time. And about 10 years ago was right when Performing arts health was really first starting to become more research, more widely researched, a little bit more accessible. And um, oh, and hi, everyone that's joining. <laughs> and yeah, so it's been a really long journey for me to try and figure out more information about my own injury. And so at the time when I first started experiencing pain, I really didn't know what to do about it. Um, I went to my primary care physician and I brought up the fact that I was having pain in my forearms when I was playing my flute 
and I was told to um, take painkillers when the pain was occurring, uh, ice and put ice on it and heat on it and stop playing my flute completely. So hearing that as an aspiring music major was really, really difficult. And I was kind of a headstrong teenager. <laughs> so unfortunately, I did not take really any of that advice. And I just kept playing because I wanted to be a musician so bad. And I was, it was a very unclear direction of if I needed to stop playing completely for the rest of my life or if I just needed to take time off. So I really could have asked more information, but um, I kind of was in the mindset of like, oh, I'll just keep playing. You know, I want to prove everyone wrong. <laughs> kind of like that, that sort of mindset. And unfortunately, that became really detrimental for me um, because I didn't know what else to do. And so the pain naturally just kept getting worse. It started in my forearms. And during that appointment, I was diagnosed with forearm tendinitis. Um, I was later, a few years later when I started college, my pain got so bad to the point where I couldn't play for more than five minutes. It had spread to my shoulders. Um, my neck was always really tight. My shoulder, my left shoulder specifically is where my injury primarily is. I was in so much pain when I was playing. Um, and so I went to go get an updated diagnosis because I really hadn't done anything except for just continue to practice um, after my initial advice that I was given to stop playing. And so once I got a new diagnosis, they told me that I had shoulder tendinitis. And this time I was actually prescribed with physical therapy and I started taking Alexander Technique lessons. Um, so that was really helpful too. And that was during my junior year of college. And I still hadn't heard anyone that was experiencing any of these same symptoms, even though I know people were struggling, it was just very stigmatized and it wasn't talked about at all. And I have, I had heard stories of people that did open up about their injury and they had to stop their performance career or people viewed them differently. So it felt really scary to open up about it. Um, and the only way that I was aware of others that were injured is by hearing those stories, um, which felt really scary because I thought that that was going to be my fate too, that I would just have to stop playing completely if I told anyone about my pain. <laughs> so my research started from that, kind of. I was picking a topic for my honors thesis in undergrad and I had finally built up the courage to talk to my private teacher about this pain I was experiencing. And I was really grateful because he was really, really supportive. And he was actually the one that brought up the idea that I should pursue research in performing arts health. And so I did a study at my undergraduate institution. It was a, an institutional review board reviewed study. And, um, I, the findings were that 88% of participants in the study were experiencing performance-related pain to the point where it affected their ability to play. And we also found a significant positive correlation between um, pain intensity and severity and elevated general stress levels, which really was revealing um, because 
most of the studies conducted had been on the prevalence of performance-related injuries, but we wanted to also examine the stress connection. And I say we, because I worked with um, my mentors, Dr. Lisa Martin and Dr. Mary Natvig, they were amazing. Um, but we wanted to also incorporate the stress factor. And so after that, those were the two main findings from my study. And it's actually in the process of we're getting it published hopefully in the next few months in the Medical Problems for Performing Artists Journal. So I'm yeah. really excited about that. <laughs> yeah, uh, thank you. And so that kind of sent me down the mind-body connection path. And I've been doing a lot of research um, on my own, just going through lots and lots of books, going through case studies, um, taking courses on the mind-body connection and really just being super interested in that and also how mental health really affects um, performance-related injuries and vice versa and the connection between that as well. So that's my story and I'm currently um, running Playing Without Pain and, and advocating for accessibility to this information to students um, of all levels. Wow, thank you so much for sharing all of that. And thank you. I, I know I experienced something very similar in my music school when I was experiencing injury where it just was so stigmatized and the, the feeling of not being able to talk about what you were going through. Um, oftentimes it can feel really like guilty or shameful. We turn that, um, that focus back on ourselves. Like, oh, this is my fault. Why is nobody else going through this? Like maybe there's something wrong with me or like it can bring up all of these really negative thoughts that interfere with our ability to play. And I also love how you talked about this connection between stress and injury. And I think that it's almost like, just as you said, it's this cyclical thing where we can't talk about it. So then the stress becomes higher and then the higher stress levels influence our playing. And it's like the chicken and the egg. Like, do we know where, um, the first like insult to our mind body connection first began and how, um, that continued. And I think that that's a question that like, we're as people in the musicians wellness world, we're always kind of thinking about, um, and so you kind of touched on it, but maybe, maybe if you want to dive into it a little bit more, um, when you were going through that injury on and off and you were, mm -hmm. you were probably experiencing higher stress levels. Um, and I know that you want to talk a little bit about perfection today and like, how does perfection tie into this conversation? Yeah. Thank you so much for asking that question. And I'm really excited to talk about this topic because throughout my healing journey. Um, this is a more recent discovery within the past few years about how my mental health has really been affecting the pain that I've been experiencing because of the behavior that it causes for me specifically. Um, so when I was in undergrad specifically, but even well before that, I felt like it's kind of been always not quite safe for me to fail. And there's a lot of factors that play into that, but I know, especially when we were talking a few days ago, um, when you're kind of noticed as a higher achieving child, um, you feel this pressure from a very young age to never fail. And that's kind of the trap that I fell into a little bit. Um, 
So failing always felt really, really scary to me. And it only got worse when I got into college, um, when the, the environment was a little bit more competitive and I actually did fail a lot at a lot of different things. And I really didn't know how to cope with that and how to handle it because I had been used to, you know, like achieving things and, and getting praise. And then all of a sudden when that all disappeared in college, um, I didn't really know, I didn't know what to do. (laughs) And so I turned to the, like some coping mechanisms that I look back on and think that that was really not a healthy way to cope with this. But I also kind of just started punishing myself in the practice room. And I actually, a very early private teacher that I studied with for a very short amount of time told me to use the word punish when I was actually practicing (laughs) as a way of getting better. And so that word has always kind of like stuck in my mind. And for a while, um, I was carrying that with me. And it's like, I need to just, I need to go in the practice room and I will not leave until I am better. And I never had a clear goal of what I, like how I could get better. I just know I, I needed to. And that led to me practicing in all of my free time, really. Um, and just having a really, really negative mindset, being extremely self-critical. I had so much self-doubt and um, there were other things that happened during that period of time that really kind of just destroyed my self-esteem. And so I really approached my instrument by going into the practice room and, and just telling myself that I was not deserving of rest because there's people that are so much better than me. And I think that's a trap that a lot of us fall into because we're conditioned to think that way. Um, oh and there's God, totally. been phrases that have been going around. Um, and I'm sure many tuning in can relate to this, but like the phrase, no pain, no gain. Like if you're not, if you're resting, someone else is practicing harder, you know, those, those types of things. So those were the messages I had ingrained in my head. And it really just got into this cycle of, practicing until I was in so much pain. I was so exhausted. I was not taking care of myself, but I didn't feel like I was able to because I had failed at, at some things. And I really just didn't know how to cope with that. And um, so that really affected my, my injury too, because of the fact that I was just practicing for hours and hours straight and I had a really negative mindset when I was playing. And so that caused me to feel more tense and caused my pain severity to increase. And I just continued to play through it because I just really felt like I didn't deserve to take care of myself. When you were practicing, were you, were you consciously aware of those negative thoughts or that they were negative thoughts? Or were you just kind of like, oh, this is what I need to do to get better? Because like when I was in academia or high school and working towards my goals, this really helped me to push through any kind of blocks I was dealing with and achieve my goals or get that great grade on a test. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a great question too. 
I really felt like I, I didn't notice that I was being so mean to myself um, because that was kind of the culture in music school um, to just be really self-degrading and kind of just say, oh, I like, I sounded terrible today in rehearsal or like, I sound terrible in the practice room today. It's a bad practice session. It's like a lot of conversations of people just being really down on themselves. And so I just thought that was normal, honestly, <laughs> which I look back on and I'm like, that is so sad. Like that we all felt so bad about ourselves. <laughs> and um, yeah, so it wasn't actively, like I wasn't conscious that I was being so mean to myself. I just thought that was the only way that was gonna help me get quote unquote better. So um, yeah, yeah. Well, and like I, now that you bring that up, I can't remember, I mean, as musicians, it's so hard to talk to other musicians about what we did in the practice room and how we feel about it. Because I think if we are talking to other musicians and we're like, I'm really proud of myself. I sounded great today. Um, that has the danger of coming across as like egotistical yes. or like that, that I don't care about your achievements, that I'm just really self-absorbed. Um, and so I think, I think we naturally are just like, oh yeah, like I'm really stressed out. Yeah. I, yeah. I was struggling in the practice room, even when that's not true. And I really believe that like our, our thoughts define our reality. You know, mm -hmm. if we are constantly telling ourselves that like, I'm stressed out, I'm stressed out, I'm stressed out, or I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. And it's so easy to want to vent about it. And I'm guilt, mm -hmm. totally guilty of, of Me this. Too. Me too. Um, but if we are telling ourselves the same thing enough times, we start to take that on an internal level as truth. Um, and so I think it's so great that you were able to eventually in your own time to realize what was happening with your mindset and start to undo that. So how did you, how did you start to counteract these like super <laughs> negative thoughts that you were having? Well, it's been a lot of years of therapy <laughs> for one, <laughs> but, um, I think it just started to become not a sustainable way for me to live and as I started learning more about my injury and my practice habits that might have been contributing to the pain that I was experiencing um that's kind of what just really made me realize that like how horrible to myself I was being and I also I think for me the pandemic has been a period of like an opportunity for a lot of self-reflection and I think many of us have found that too, because um, we've spent so much time by ourselves that many of us would, wouldn't have gotten the opportunity to do. Um, and not, not saying that it's a great opportunity because not, <laughs> it's horrible circumstances. But um, I had time to just kind of like think about a lot of things and reflect on just the way that I talk to myself and why I feel like I need to continue achieving so many things or doing so many things and really like what is the root of of that drive for me and so that's um a big part of perfectionism is kind of 
meeting your expectations and then immediately raising them so that you're just discounting any achievement that you've had. And that's, that's been a really big struggle for me, um, especially just achieving anything and then immediately saying like, oh, well, there's like, oh, there weren't that many people that entered or like, you know, just completely discrediting it right after and then being like, okay, well, I didn't do this. So like <laughs> my achievement doesn't mean anything and just telling yourself those kinds of things. And um, so during the pandemic, I really just felt the need to keep pushing forward and like doing all these projects. And there was a point where I was feeling so burnt out and I was so unnecessarily busy with so many things I was trying to do because I just felt like I needed to get those constant, like, I guess, I, I don't want to say affirmations, but that, that constant approval from others. And that's part of perfectionism too, is um, just really kind of for the things that you do and not being able to like validate yourself and your own actions. And so I felt so burnt out and I just really had to ask myself, like, why am I doing all of this? Like, it's a pandemic. It's a really, really tough time for everybody. And why am I not allowed to, to rest or not allowing myself to rest? And that sparked the whole journey of really just confronting my, my inner critic and confronting the self-talk and the way that, um, that I talk to myself and kind of just gradually reframing that. And that has brought so much good into my life, but it's been a really difficult journey. That's so profound. I think that, I mean, I relate to that so much and I'm sure a lot of other people listening can too. Um, and what you said about having these expectations that are always more than what we're capable of doing mm -hmm. in a realistic level. Um, I think that's modeled to us by many people in our music mm -hmm. community and by our teachers. And then it's not necessarily a bad thing to have really great dreams and goals for ourselves yeah. and wanting to make sure that every single time we pick up our instruments, that we're creating a sound that we're hearing in our head first, that we really want to create yeah and when what we want to create on the inside and what we can visualize sometimes or like audiate is not coming out of our instruments mm -hmm. it could feel like we're just we're not enough mm -hmm. right or that like what we're doing is is never going to be enough so then what's the solution oh my gosh I just have to work harder <laughs> I know I know that's yeah that's been my internal script for like years <laughs> um but lately I'm it's it's really difficult to get out of that mindset but I think it all comes down to just really finding your your core values and really what makes you satisfied and what makes you happy and a lot of the time that doesn't look like how we think it will um so like for example we're typically kind of taught that there's two careers in music and that's teaching or performing professionally in an orchestra or um or a choir or opera and I think 
recently it's been um, talked about that there's many different ways to build a career in music. But when I was an undergrad, that was kind of like the only two paths that I really like kind of saw. And I felt that I had to pick one. And I'm realizing now that maybe it's not totally what I want. And maybe my passion within the music industry lies in a slightly different niche. And so that realization has been like really eye-opening for me too. And there's plenty of people that it is still, it is their ultimate dream to play in an orchestra. And that's wonderful. It's just a matter of like figuring out what you want. And it can be scary sometimes because um, it's just so ingrained in us that we have to have one of those two career paths to be quote unquote successful. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. and so with your, I know you've done a training in meditation. And so was meditation a part of this journey for you at all as well? Yeah, absolutely. That has been the only opportunity for self-reflection because I have this problem where I can't like, I can't self-reflect unless I'm actively like doing an activity or something or a practice. And um, because if I have free time, I'm just going to fill it up with like a bunch of other things or just, I, we were talking about this too, like just having our, our hobbies that we, <laughs> we fill up our time with. <laughs> but um, yeah, so meditation has been a really actually emotional journey for me. Um, it's brought up a lot of emotions that I've been avoiding for so many years. And that has been one of the most helpful things in my, my mental health healing process is just finally confronting those really uncomfortable emotions that I always just pushed to the side and like used other methods of coping to like not have to deal with those feelings. And yeah, so it's been a really, really big part of my, my journey. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. That's so beautiful. Um, I wanted to talk about this. I'm not sure if we should talk about it later. I'm just going to talk about it now and bring it up. But I know um, when we were talking a couple days ago, I kind of brought up this idea of like perfectionism and procrastination. Yeah. Because I feel like for myself, as someone who's definitely a recovering perfectionist, mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes I can't even get started on a project because it just feels so overwhelming. Yes. I put so much pressure on myself to type my first draft and have it be absolutely perfect the first mm -hmm. time. And so then I end up not doing it and I put it off for days and days and days. And then I realized like, oh my gosh, why did I do that? Why did I procrastinate so much? Right. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that's <laughs> relatable at all. Um, yeah, definitely. And I think, I think a lot of us think that we are lazy, but it's really, I think it's almost never that it's usually about like feeling really overwhelmed with the task at hand or, or feeling like you're putting so much pressure on yourself to the point where you really dread doing it. And so I think we view procrastination as like, oh, like someone that just doesn't care. But oftentimes I've realized it's someone that cares a lot and really like just feels so overwhelmed about their ability to be able to do 
their best or what they view as their best, which for many of us artists is always like raise <laughs> being elevated, which what our best is. And so I think I, I struggle with that too. I like whenever I have a really big project, I find everything else in the world that I can do except for that, <laughs> just to avoid like, and it's, I think it's also about like the way that I used to talk to myself during these really high pressure situations. It's like, I almost subconsciously don't want to have to go back into that headspace again, even though, you know, it's something that we've, we've all been working on and, and really just um, working on our, our self-talk. But yeah, I think it's, it's a lot. It's very little to do with being lazy and it's a lot to do with many other things. Yeah. And I find that for me, like, I always wondered why is it that I get so much more done when I have like a lot of classes that I'm taking in school and I have a job and I have all of these things going on. But if I take some time to clear out my schedule and I'm like, okay, next semester, I'm only going to take this many credits and I'm not going to work as many hours. And I'm really just going to like give myself time to rest. I don't get as much done. Yeah, I feel like it's such a huge struggle. And when I'm constantly in motion, it's like, there's this sense of, oh my gosh, I can, I have to just get it done. There's like an urgency to it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I don't know if you've run across this in any of your research and I'd love to hear more about like what, um, you've learned about procrastination or sorry, uh, perfectionism from a, from a more like evidence-based thing. Um, but there's for me a sense of momentum. And sometimes if I create that momentum by filling up my schedule, it can feel a lot less stressful to do the mm-hmm. tasks I need to do, but I, I don't want to be a workaholic. Yeah, so. no, it's really, it's really hard. And we're like, we're so similar in so many ways, because I feel the exact same way. It's like so hard for me to manage my time if I have too much free time. And so I've gotten to the point where I actually have to schedule rest time into my day otherwise I will just keep working straight and then I won't be able to stop because I'll get so wrapped up in something and then I'll just be like oh well if I work another hour I can just finish it when in reality like you need that sound time (laughs) you need that time for your mind to just like not be actively working on something and just just resting but um yeah, so I totally understand that. But that's been helpful for me is actually just like making a schedule for myself. Um, because some people are able to work on flexible schedules. It's really difficult for me to do that. So I've been scheduling all of my days well with incorporating rest time. And that's been the way that I've been able to kind of like make sure I'm taking care of myself, but also like still have a schedule to work off on, which makes me feel better. <laughs> But yeah, that's such a great tip because I feel like I think a lot of people can relate to this too. Um, But now that a lot of the work I do is at home and a lot of the practicing I do is at home, everything's here. um, It can feel like I don't have an, I don't have like a set end to my day that Mm -hmm. it can very easily become something where even if it's like, for me, this happened to me last night (laughs) that I, I had this idea 
just as I was getting into bed at like 10 PM, which Mm -hmm. is already like past my bedtime that I've set for myself. I'm like, Oh, I'm just going to type this out. It will take me two seconds. I just need to get this idea out of my head. And then next thing I know, it's like 12 (laughs) at night. And I'm like, why am I ruining my sleep for this? I'm just going to wake up the next day and have more ideas. Um, and so I really love this idea of like setting, setting some boundaries for yourself and really being strict with yourself about that. Um, mm-hmm. Especially for people like us that just, if given the right conditions, <laughs> we could just work nonstop and never yeah. give ourselves a break. Yeah. I think my favorite quote is like, are you a human being? Or are you a human doing? And I'm like, I've definitely been a human doing for most of my life. <laughs> So maybe now it's time to explore more of the being part. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, so how do we, how do we separate ourselves from what we're doing enough to where it's not such a reflection of our self-worth yeah. or of, of who we are as individuals, um, so that when something does happen, like we fail at something, we perceived, we have a perceived failure because I don't really believe in failure yeah, right. in my life. I just believe in experience. I and, love that. Yeah. Um, but if we do do something, like we put ourselves out there and we don't get a result back that we really wanted, mm-hmm. how do we, how do we find a way to move past that? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's, something that I'm honestly still figuring out. It has gotten easier, but um, some things that have been really helpful for me is sometimes you just need to let yourself be upset for a little bit about <laughs> a rejection, especially if it's it's something that you really wanted. Um, but at the same time, it's like finding ways to kind of like depersonalize that in a sense. Um, so that's what I love practicing mindfulness and kind of just like acknowledging the situation and acknowledging how I'm feeling, like labeling your feelings, like, oh, I'm, I'm feeling kind of hurt by this and like seeing how many feelings that you're experiencing that you're able to label. And then that kind of clarifies your experience a little bit. And then just allowing yourself to feel whatever you need to. Um, but also kind of reminding yourself that there is a lot that play into decisions and it's oftentimes not a reflection on your self-worth at all it's it's more of circumstance or how many applicants they received and a lot of the time when when programs receive hundreds of applications there's so many highly qualified and amazing people and sometimes they have to make the decision objectively so a lot of the time it's really not a reflection on your self-worth at all, but it's so easy to feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just kind of being able to separate your self-worth from the rejection is is a really important skill to have. And also just really allowing yourself to explore those feelings that you're having and, and not try and like push them away or pretend they're not happening because that only leads to them coming up in other situations. Um, and also just have, have your support system. If you have someone that, you know, you can always talk to that's never going to judge you for not, you know, having an outcome that you didn't really want. Um, I have a few really good friends that I always text after I receive 
maybe some some bad news and and they always help and I I do the same for them so it's it's really good to find your 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 support system too that that's really helpful that's so great and don't you also have like um worry groups where people can yeah. just kind of express how they're feeling and sit yeah. with them I do thank you for asking so I've me and my friend Baltazar have been hosting these worry groups once a month. They're free to attend. Um, if you'd like to make a donation, we support a different organization each month, um, but donations are completely optional and you absolutely don't need to make a donation. If you're not able to, you're welcome to come and just attend. And we basically just go around and talk about everything that's been on our minds. And it's a space to talk about the things that maybe you don't Feel like you can in in other parts of your life so it's really just a space for vulnerability um and I've found that it's been really helpful for me to to just have kind of like my support system and also building the support system by these amazing people that that we have been meeting through these these group meetings and especially like meeting more people from the Instagram community. It's been really awesome. So if anyone's interested in attending, um, I just posted the next one's going to be on March, March, <laughs> May 13th. <laughs> what month is it? <laughs> um, so the, the sign up link is in my bio and just put your email and you'll get the zoom link a couple of days ahead of time. And it's completely free to attend. Oh, that's so amazing. Oh, and I really believe that too, that feeling is healing. And the more that we can learn how to sit with our emotions and find acceptance for that, um, mm -hmm. the easier it is to, to live our lives and be able to feel the full range of emotions, you know, mm -hmm. and fully embrace joy when joy is present instead yeah. of just kind of numbing ourselves to, to everything that we feel. Absolutely. So when we are in the practice room and we might find ourselves just like finding these negative thoughts, really criticizing ourselves, but we also do want to improve ourselves in some way. What are some ways that we can get past this like self-criticism or mm -hmm. maybe find a healthy amount of self-criticism for our playing without um, telling ourselves that we're horrible people, <laughs> not, not worthy of everything that we're striving for? Yeah, that's a great question too. So many great questions. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, I love the concept of neutral self-talk. Um, I've been researching that a little bit because we hear a lot about positive and negative self-talk, but sometimes when you're in maybe a more negative headspace and you feel like your inner critic is totally present, like just tearing you down. Sometimes switching automatically to positive self-talk doesn't work very well for a lot of people because it just feels kind of like inauthentic. And so a good way to get past that is just to start talking to yourself in a neutral manner or like maybe an objective manner. Um, so you're not kind of wrapping yourself worth up in, Hey, I'm, I made a mistake while I was practicing. And, um, so I think just starting by removing the emotionally charged talk from it can be helpful. So just kind of noticing, like, I, like I made a mistake and let's see why that happened. And let's explore some 
methods uh, that could help with um, maybe feeling more comfortable with this section and just being just being kind to yourself. You don't have to be like super positive. It can just be a statement of just noticing what happened and also remembering that your practice room is a safe space or it could be a safe space for you to really explore and also be vulnerable with with your playing too because this is it's really how you improve is to either make mistakes and I mistakes always happen so it's like we can't ever fully prevent mistakes but if you want to improve an aspect of your playing you know you have to go through the learning process and um I think just allowing ourselves to do that in whatever way we need to and that feels good to us in the practice room is is really important and um yeah I've been I've found that taking trying to take the emotion out of out of the self the inner critic has been really helpful for me and just kind of like labeling the situation and exploring passages with curiosity and and creativity because we're we're artists yeah that's so amazing like <laughs> you said, I'm just like yes and I think I I love how you talked about finding neutral language for yourself and how mm, and how switching right from negative to positive can be something that's not helpful or not authentic or not something that we can own and fully embody in ourselves and um I know with my students, sometimes I have students that in a lesson will tell me like, or I'll ask them after they play a passage, how did that sound or how did that feel? Or like, what did you find challenging about it? And sometimes I'll have a student that will just say, it sounded bad. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't tell me anything. That tells me how you felt about it emotionally, but that doesn't tell me like, can you tell me which note was sharp or which note was flat? Like, let's get really objective about this so we can mm-hmm. have a conversation about it. Um, and I find that really interesting too, that, that we make these judgment calls. Um, but I also just wanted to touch on this too. Shauna, who's been on the podcast before. Oh, yeah. says, hi. I often find, hi Shauna. She says, I often find affirmations really triggering. Mm. And I actually... I have had to work a lot through this myself. And Mm -hmm. I find, um, I find praise in a lesson setting to actually be very triggering for me. And so as a teacher, um, it's been interesting because I try to gauge my students and see what they respond to better. If they like receiving Mm -hmm. a lot of praise and they need that positive feedback, or if it seems to make them uncomfortable and they respond better with more neutral words Mm -hmm. and languaging. Um, But maybe, um, do you have any thoughts on that or or ways like as teachers, we can be more neutral or more supportive of, of students that might find praise or affirmations to be triggering yeah well I love that and I actually I'm learning something today too because I didn't realize that that positive affirmations were could be triggering to people so that's that's really wonderful to know and um I think like you said the individualized approach to teaching is so so important um we're finding more and more that the meth like the method-based approach where a teacher has a method 
And if you're not improving under the method that is being taught, it's like, feels like a reflection on your own self-worth and like, you're not able to do it when in reality, everyone learns differently. And, and it's really the teacher's job to discover what works best for the student and, and how they learn best. So I think absolutely the individualized approach is really, really wonderful. And that's, I think that's definitely the way to go. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Um, what else haven't I, haven't I covered? <laughs> I have some notes here. Uh, let's, let me scroll through and see if anybody's got questions. Oh, I know I had one more question. Um, so from a research-based standpoint and maybe your own personal experience, um, what are some of the impacts of anxiety and perfectionism on musicians? Maybe from, from a more like physical standpoint or yeah. uh, how, is, how is there a broader impact that maybe we don't always consider? Yeah, I've, well, I've read several studies on there's, um, especially with orchestral musicians, there's incredibly high rates of anxiety and depression, even more so than the general population. Um, so that's, that's really interesting. And also in collegiate musicians too, um, just in my study alone, um, the participants demonstrated pretty elevated stress levels in general, and specifically the week leading up to a major performance competition or audition, their stress levels were higher and also their pain intensity and severity was higher. Um, so that the elevated stress levels really impact physical symptoms so much. And um, I think that's something that people are starting to realize also, but um, just, I feel like the pressure alone in, in the performing arts industry is, can be really debilitating for a lot of people and kind of like what, what I experienced, it's, you don't really, you're not really taught how to cope with that. You're only taught how to, succeed in the definition of you know winning winning a job or something like that um but we're not really taught how to cope when things don't work out that way and I think this contributes to a lot of like we're just not trained on how to handle situations like that and so it results in a lot of artists just not really knowing what to do if their life isn't isn't unfolding the way that they thought it would. Um, but definitely the mind-body connection, it's its really strong. And there have been several studies that have shown that collegiate music majors specifically experience much higher rates of burnout, of perfectionism, of um, anxiety, and uh, much more than the general population. And there have been studies that have compared that um, with collegiate music majors based on majors of other other areas and it's, it's been proven to be much higher and I think a lot of it is just because of the pressure um, our connection to our work um, so like we re really often feel like something that didn't work out in the way that we hoped it would is a direct reflection on our self-worth because we put so much of what we do into our into our work and into our playing and so I think those factors really play into that 
all of all of it. Oh, absolutely. And I'm not I'm not surprised by those <laughs> statistics and stuff, but I I think it's so great that this research is coming forward to just kind of bring um, tangible evidence of, of what's been, um, been experienced by many professional musicians or Mm -hmm. pre-professional musicians and, and areas for, for growth that we can work on as a music community to better support, um, the musicians because, and I, I feel too, like, um, many of us start playing music and musical instrument at such a young young age. Many of us don't even remember like the first day we picked up an instrument. Mm -hmm. Many of us have parents that played musical instruments before we were even born. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a lot of us come into this world already (laughs) knowing a lot about music or being immersed in that musical environment. And so it can be so hard for criticisms about our playing um, or about our musicianship or our ability to understand music at a fundamental level to not be a reflection of ourselves because it's just so um, so ingrained as a part of our identity yeah um, and so yeah I just I love how you I love how you touched on that too thank you is there anything else that you would like our listeners to know I think we covered most everything. Um, I'm just really excited to be here with you today. And thank you so much again for having me as a guest. If you'd like, um, I have the monthly worry groups that I mentioned earlier. Uh, Those are free to attend. You can sign up. There's a link in my Instagram bio. Um, I also, yeah, I just try, I try to be a resource for anyone. And my website has a database of resources. so if anyone is curious to learn more about like research about performing arts health or find resources, like find a body mapping teacher in your area, an Alexander Technique teacher in your area, um, locations for performing arts health specialists, information about common performance related injuries, things like that. You can go to my website, um, playingwithoutpain.com. And I kind of created it because it was something that I wish I had when I was going through my injury. And um, it's really just dedicated to housing those resources all in one space and and connecting musicians that are are struggling with performance-related pain or, or their mental health with um, resources that might be able to help them. That's amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Francesca. This was so great. And I always love talking with you. I oh, me too. Like, I love talking with you. <laughs> I feel like we're so similar people and yeah. our tendencies can be uh, really similar when it comes to musicians, musicians wellness, how mm-hmm. we think about things. And so I just, I really appreciate your knowledge, your insight and everything that you're doing uh, for the musicians wellness community and for musicians. It's so inspiring. And so, um, yeah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I love talking with you too. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit subscribe give us a rating and follow on Instagram at The Aligned Musician. Thank you so much and take care.